So here's the thing. Reality TV is the, it's like half of what's on television now, right? And for entertainment. And there's a bunch of reasons. One reason is it's really cheap to produce. Uh, Another reason is that you could just try ideas and the more uh, absurd and ridiculous they are, the better chance they have of uh, hitting. Um, And another is that uh, your fan base tends to be rabid. Like, they, they record every episode, they don't miss it, they have to keep up. It is today's version of soap operas, right? And, and I remember as a kid growing up, my mom used to religiously every day watch her soap operas. And I remember you, you just walk in and you stand there for like five minutes and you watch this and you're like, seriously? This is the show you can't miss? Why do people do that? Why do people have to see what happens next with Hulk Hogan and his family? Why do we want to know this? And I've thought about it, and I am convinced that at least a big part of the reason is that it is refreshing to watch other people mess up their lives, right? It is, it is nice to feel like there's a family out there way more dysfunctional than my family, and, and people are drawn to this. Well, we've been in the book of Genesis now for, uh, I don't know, since I was about 11. And, uh, and we're moving through, we've been looking at the life of Abraham and his, his descendants. Um, and it's, it's very much like watching a reality TV show of a highly dysfunctional group of people. And uh, so today's episode is uh, episode number 27 of a show we're calling The Abraham Clan. And I want, you to, I want you to turn to chapter 27 of Genesis, and that's where we're going to jump in. While you're turning there and trying to find that, um, let me recap a little bit, because always on those shows at the beginning, they say, you know, previously on keeping up with the Kardashians, and then they bring you ahead, right? Let me, let me give you the recap. God calls this guy Abraham out of paganism. He gets up and follows God. God says, I just want you to trust me, and I'm going to bless you. And not only am I going to bless you, but I'm going to bless every nation of the earth through you. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. Out of your own loins will come multitudes of people, as many as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. And if you follow me by faith, I will give you this promised land and your descendants will be blessed forever. And ultimately, I will save the world through your offspring. That's basically the promise. And as Abraham follows him, there's just one problem. He's getting older and older and older and he has no children. So he's walking around with this promise, I'm going to be the father of a multitude, but by the way, I'm like 100 years old, and my wife is 90, and we've never been able to have children, and it's not going to happen. And so he does end up with a couple of kids, and by the end, he's got a whole bunch of kids, right? But, but he ends up with a couple of main character sons, uh, one through his wife and one through his girlfriend, right? Sounds like a reality show, doesn't it? And... Uh, basically, uh, he, he had tried, he and his wife actually schemed together and said, look, if we're ever going to make this plan of God happen, did you get that? 
if we're ever gonna make the plan of God happen, then we're gonna have to take matters into our own hands because God obviously is not giving us any offspring, so go ahead and sleep with my servant girl and she'll get pregnant and then you can have a child through her. They tried that and she conceives and has a son, Ishmael, and God says, you idiots, that's not what I was talking about. I'm gonna give you a child of your own. And it isn't until they're literally 190, respectively, that God gives them the child of promise who is Isaac, right? And then they walk with God and, and Abraham does, the last chapter of his life, you know, the last few chapters, he just finishes well. He walks with God by faith. He says yes to everything God asks him to do. He's grown and matured and he's really becoming that man of faith. Now, he still doesn't win any Father of the Year awards. I'm not saying that, but he finishes well. And he passes the torch on to Isaac. And we've been seeing the last few chapters as the life of Isaac is unfolding, right? And that's where we come to today in chapter 27 of Genesis, the next episode of the Abraham clan starts like this. Now it came about when Isaac was old, his eyes were too dim to see. And he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son, and he said to him, here I am. Isaac said, now behold, I'm old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver, and your bow, and go out, of the, go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Okay, Isaac is now old. If you piece the stories together, you find out that he's roughly somewhere between 130 and 140 years old at this point. He is blind. He can't see. And he has had these two sons, remember? Twins, uh, uh, Jacob and Esau. And these are no ordinary twins. Twins are always, they have this great bond together. They just love each other. They, that when one of them stubs their toe, the other one limps. You know, they, they, that whole twin thing, that is not these guys. While they're in the womb, they're fighting with each other constantly. In fact, it was even a wrestling match to get out of the womb because being the firstborn means you get everything, right? And so... Esau comes out of the womb, and usually, on average, I looked this up, uh, on average, it's 17 minutes between the birth of twins. The first one comes, and there's a little break for mom to catch her breath, and then the second one comes. It's on average 17 minutes. For some cases, a couple hours, some cases, a couple minutes. But in their case, they were born the same minute because literally they're wrestling in the womb. And so when Esau comes out, Isaac is holding him by the leg, trying to pull him back in, right? And I mean, not Isaac, Jacob. And Jacob gets pulled out of the womb by his brother's foot. And they're born together, but technically, it is Esau who is the firstborn. He's the guy who crosses the finish line first. He's the winner in this great challenge, right? And, uh, and they're different from the beginning. The scripture tells us, that Esau is born just covered with hair and red. He's red and hairy. He looks like Elmo. And when he gets older, according to all accounts in scripture, he no longer looks like Elmo. He now looks like Chewbacca, 
That's what that's, he's always described as the hairy guy. He's just covered with hair, which I don't think is fair, but whatever. And he, he's known for his size and his strength and his manliness. He loves to go out and hunt and kill animals, and he loves to just do manly stuff. We're going to see this. The Bible describes his smell Say, you know, when, when Esau walks in the room, everyone knows. Like, his dad says, you smell like the field. And he means it as a compliment. <laughs> and, but, but Jacob never even goes to the field. Jacob stays in the house. And the Bible says he didn't have any hair on him. He's just a totally smooth guy. And he's a little runt guy. He doesn't like any physical stuff. They have nothing in common, and they can't stand each other. And so they're always at each other's throats. And then we read this, where Isaac is now old, so he calls Esau and says, hey, I want to bless you, right? Now, did you notice how Isaac refers to his son Esau, what he calls him? Look back in the passage. What, what does he call his son? He calls him my son. And he calls him my son throughout the entire passage. And that's all we ever see Isaac referring to Esau as, my son. Never our son, my son. And if you keep reading, you're going to see that Rebekah, the mother, refers to Jacob as my son. And never does she refer to Esau as my son. So Jacob refers to Esau as his son, but never Jacob. I never, I'm sorry, I'm getting these names mixed up. Isaac refers to Esau as his son, but never Jacob. And Rebekah refers to Jacob as her son, but never um, Esau. And so it's very clear from the time these guys are little, which ones are whose favorite, right? There is one mama's boy, and there is one daddy's little man. That's what they got. And they grow up that way. And so, um, and don't forget this. God told Rebecca when she was pregnant that Jacob was going to be the blessed one. Jacob, the younger one, was actually going to be served by the older one. That was God's prophetic statement to Rebecca. Now, as far as we know, she never told her husband this. We never see a conversation where she goes, you wouldn't believe what God told me. She seems to keep that to herself, and she just favors the younger boy, and dad favors the older boy. You should also remember that Esau sold his birthright to his brother. Now, what is a birthright? A birthright is the right to inherit the blessing of the father. When they would uh, break up the inheritance, if you had two sons, then uh, the old, you would break your estate into three parts. The oldest son would get two of those three parts and the younger one would get one of those three parts. So it was a two-thirds, one-third thing. But the more important thing was he got to be the patriarch of the clan. He owned everything that dad owned. He uh, took control of all of the businesses. All the people belonged to him. They worked for him. They all looked to him. He was the political leader. He was all of those things. And then in this case, he is also the one who receives the blessing that comes all the way from Abraham, right? I will bless you, make you a great nation, and bless the earth through you. That gets passed down. He got passed down from Abraham to Isaac. And in this chapter, we're going to see it get passed down again. So these boys are twins, but they're not exactly close, 
and they have been battling since they were in the womb. Now, any good father wants to bless all of his kids. And, and you'll see as we continue in Genesis that uh, later on when Jacob is ready to die, he gathers all his sons around him and grandsons and he's blessing. he's got a blessing for everybody. It wasn't that you only get one blessing. He had a blessing for everybody, but this is a special blessing that goes to the one with the birthright, the firstborn. And of course, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. Right? Remember that? He comes in, he's famished. He says, I got to eat. And, and Jacob says, well, I got this bowl of soup here. And he goes, uh, give me some. And, and, and he, never in the history of the world did one brother say to another brother, give me some. And the other brother said, sure. That never happened, ever. <laughs> what happens is the one brother says, give me some. And the other brother says, what do you give me for it? Right? And then the negotiation begins. And that's what happened. What do you give me for it? He goes, what do you want? I'm dying of starvation here. I'll give you anything. He goes, give me your birthright. He says, done. He sells him his birthright, which is worth millions for a bowl of soup. Okay? So this story is weird. And by the way, um, remember, he's 130 to 140 years old. So he has good reason to think his days are going to end. As it turns out, he lives to 175. But the blessing, that the, the torch gets passed at the time of the blessing. And he's having a bad day, and he's feeling like he's not going to make it much longer. And he wants to make sure that he finds a way to get the blessing to the son that he loves, right? So that's why he calls in Esau and says, let me do this. Now, one more thing you need to know. When this blessing takes place, it's a ceremony. It's not a private affair. Everyone in the clan, everyone in the community, everyone is invited. Everyone witnesses it with their own eyes so that there will be no disputes later about who's the, the one that we follow, right? So it's a huge ceremony. It's like a coronation of a king when they do this. Everyone comes and everyone watches, but that's not what's about to happen. What's about to happen is Isaac is going to get his son to go hunting and get him some food, make him some food, bring it into his bedroom where he's sitting up in bed and watching, keeping up with the Kardashians, and he's going to come and serve him some food, and he's going to bless him right there privately with no one knowing about it. And this is how he's going to avoid the little guy getting the blessing. So something's wrong with this picture already. And as the camera pans into the next room, and we have that little cool camera trick where you see the side of the wall and then you see the next room, right? It's a very thin wall because it's a tent. And what we see is on the other side of the wall, Rebecca leaning with her ear against the wall. And she heard it all. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and they go to commercial. And, and they know you're going to stay and watch because you gotta know what happens now that Rebecca knows. If it was a Friday on a soap opera and that was the last scene, it would have faded out really slow and then you'd have had all weekend to go, oh my gosh, what's Rebecca gonna do? And, and that's, what they're, that's what's happening, right? So Rebecca is now in the know, verse five. 
Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that you that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. She's got a plan. He says, he's, he's trying to sneak this past and get Esau the blessing. I'm gonna make sure my boy gets the blessing. But I want you to notice something. This is gonna turn out to be important. In verse eight, now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. It, let me just translate that. Do what mama says. <laughs> do what your mama tells you to do. And she says one version or another of that same line three times in this chapter. She says it again and again and again. Hey, listen and do exactly what I'm telling you. And, and, and he kind of goes, well, you know, mom. And she goes, hey, hey, no more talking. Listen and do exactly what I'm telling you. And he's like, well, you know. And she goes, listen and do exactly what I'm telling you. Now, moms, wouldn't you like a, a, a recording of that on your cell phone? You just press the button. It would save your voice so much if you could just say that to your kids 40 times a day. <laughs> listen and do what mama says. That's what she tells him, okay? And, and her plan is, we're just gonna get a goat while he's out there climbing a mountain looking for a deer like an idiot. We're gonna go out to the, pan, uh, to the pen, get a couple of goats, fry them up, serve them to dad, and we're gonna make him think you're Esau. He'll bless you. It's the best idea. To which he replies, <laughs> verse 11, Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, behold, Esau, my brother, is a... Hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me. Then I'll be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. You know, what if I go in there and he feels me and realizes I'm not Esau? He's going to think I'm trying to trick him. Yeah, you think? You're not trying to trick him. You're tricking him, you scumbag. This is what you're doing, right? I don't want him to know. And so she, she, look what she says, verse 13. But his mother said to him, you're cursed beyond me, my son. Only obey my voice, do what mama says, and go get them for me. So he went and got them, brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son, Jacob. Now, she basically says to him, remember that Chewbacca costume you had for Halloween? Go get that. We're gonna put that on you. And, and she goes and gets Esau's stinky clothes from the laundry room, and she goes, put these on. He's like, seriously? Yes, put those on. He puts them on, now he smells like the fields, and, and she puts the goat hair on him, and she gives him the food and says, go in 
and do this. Now, I, I need to tell you something so you're not misunderstanding because most of us, the first time we heard this story, completely misunderstood. If you, if you grew up in Sunday school and they told you this story, they would have given you a coloring page to do with it, right? And that coloring page would have been Jacob and Esau, and, and one of them would have been hairy and big, and the other one would have been small and, and girly looking, right? And your job would have been to color them, and you know they're twins, but by the looks of them, Esau looks like he's about 18 and shaving twice a day, and... And Jacob looks like he's about 13. And so you color these little teenage guys. Let me tell you something. Isaac is 130. Chapter 25 said he was 60 when these boys were born. They are 70 to 80 years old at this moment. Okay? So get that picture of these little kids out of your head. And it probably gives you the willies because you're like, wait a second, he's 75 and his mom is dressing him. <laughs> yes. And that's the problem. These guys are not teenagers. They have lives of their own. You say, well, they're, they're living at home. Okay. They're not living at home. Like, Jacob's not sleeping in a pack and play in their room. That's not what this is. He has his own spread. Right? He, they own all this land. They each have their own place. You come see mom and dad. That's what's going on here. And, um, and you have this mother who is still controlling her 75-year-old son. And this father who is still controlling his 75-year-old son. Now, I don't have a lot of time, and I have this whole rabbit trail I want to go on, this whole soapbox. I'm not, let me just give you the short version of it, okay? And then write, write your cards and letters, address them to Dave Denstead at GraceDuarte.com. <clears throat> Here's what I need you to know. In our society today, there is a new phrase. The phrase is extended adolescence. The definition of the word adolescent has been changed, and adolescence now goes from age 13 to age 29, okay? And, and sociologists call this extended adolescence. It's a new phenomenon in Western culture, um, and we know it. We see it. It's and, and let me just be clear, I'm not, I'm not trying to be trite about this. It's extremely difficult to get launched now as an adult in our society. It's extremely difficult. You go to school, you get all these student loans, you graduate often with a degree that isn't marketable and you're stuck and you owe a lot of money and you married the guy or the girl that you met in college and they've got a hundred grand in student debt and you got a hundred grand. It is very, very, very difficult to get launched today. Not like it used to be. That being said, if you're 35 and you're living in your mom's basement eating Cheetos and playing video games all day, knock it off. Seriously. God has a plan for our lives that a lot of us are just putting off because we don't want to be responsible and get up and go live that life. 
And, and let me just take this a step further. If you were the parent of a full-fledged adult and you are still cooking their meals and doing their laundry and paying their bills and wiping their nose and making their bed, knock it off. You are holding your child down, not lifting them up. And I'm not trying to be funny. This is a serious issue in our society today. And I talk to parents that are in my age group all the time who are having a really difficult time trying to figure out how do I help my child really be an adult. And I talk to young adults all the time who are having a really difficult time trying to figure out what does it really mean for me to be an adult. I think it's harder today than it's ever been in any society. But that being said, God has a plan for our lives that does not involve you mothering your 75-year-old son or your 45-year-old son, or your 35-year-old daughter, or fill in the blanks. And, and if you're a young adult whose parents can't stop trying to run your life, I have two pieces of advice. Number one is, run your own life so they don't think they have to. And number two is, tell them, knock it off. We have to honor our parents, whatever our age, whatever their age, but, but we, not we, you, young adults, need to be able to have a respectful, honoring conversation with your parents where you say, listen, you know what? It's my marriage and not yours, so if I have questions, I'll ask. Listen, when you come, when you come stay for the weekend with us, um, my wife kind of does things a certain way in her kitchen, it's not really your kitchen, so be respectful. Like Some of us may need to have a tough conversation with our parents, because I'm watching this train wreck of a reality show in Genesis 27, and I'm like, man, I wish somebody would just put this family in a counseling room and said, you guys are going about this the wrong way, because they're going to end up suffering some consequences that are really, really serious. We have some moms and dads in our culture who have kids in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, and, and you think you still have to make their beds for them, and you think you still have to make their decisions for them, and we're holding them back. The Bible tells us that when a you know, man uh, leaves his family, cleaves to his wife, and the two become one, there's a leaving and cleaving process. All right, more about that in a counseling session one day. Um, <laughs> Rebecca is the stereotypical meddling mother. She's dressing her son, and three times in the conversation, she says, do exactly what mommy says. And the sad part is, he does it. He does it. This is dysfunction. And in this case, each parent has their own agenda for each child. And there's all this manipulation and controlling that is going on. Watch where this thing goes. She dressed him up and make him feel like Esau and smell like Esau so he could fool his father. Verse 18. Then he came to his father and said, my, fa my, <clears throat> my father, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please, sit, and eat of my game, that you may bless me. 
Isaac said to his son, uh, how is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Don't you love how he dragged God into his big lie? Yeah, if I, if I make it sound religious, he'll buy it. Drags God in. God's like, dude, you're the one dressed in the Chewbacca costume. Don't put this on me. I, I, this is not my thing, right? Um, so uh, verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you really are my son Esau or not. Now his heart's starting to beat fast. He's like, he is on to me. Let's see if the costume and the stinky clothes works. So he's got to come close to him now. And he tells him, I want to know if you're really who you say you are. Um, Verse 22, so Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate and he also brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. He still doesn't believe it. He's like, I need one more sniff of this guy. I need to know if this is really who he says he is. And by the way, do not let it be lost on you that Jacob betrays his father with a kiss. Verse 28. His father said to him, come, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. This is verse 27, sorry. And he smelled the smell of his garments and he blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field. I always say that about my son, uh, which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. The con is completed. He got the blessing. He got the birthright years ago, and now he has gotten the blessing. Exit stage left, and enter stage right. Esau with a rack of antlers and a a plate full of venison, right? Verse 30. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Uh, Then he also made savory food, food, brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father rise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Isaac, his father, said to him, who are you? He said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of it all before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, "'Bless me, even me also, O my father!' And he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. 
Then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, behold, I have made him your master. All his relatives I've given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine, I've sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh, my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. Now, before you shed too many tears for Esau, let me remind you that he actually thought nothing of the blessing of God. He sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. He is never once in scripture portrayed worshiping God, speaking of God, praying to God, following God, obeying God, asking anything of God. He is not interested in God. What he wants is the wealth and the power, and he's lost it. So he's weeping and crying and trying to manipulate his dad. My stupid brother came and he took it and it's not fair. It's not fair. Can't you please give me a blessing too, right? Esau didn't take your birthright. I mean, Jacob didn't take your birthright, dude. You sold it to him. You thought so little of God's plan. You thought so little of God's blessing that a meal was more important to you than that. Let me ask you, how many times have you been tempted to trade God's blessing and plan for your life for something that couldn't possibly be nearly as valuable? Don't fall for it. It's a trick. God has an amazing plan for your life, an amazing plan beyond your wildest imagination. And just because things don't happen to be going today the way you think they need to go for your life to be amazing, I want to encourage you to trust when God says, I came that you might have life more abundantly, he actually meant it and he has a plan for your life that is way better than the bowl of soup you're about to trade his plan for. Jesus said, whoever wishes to save his life must be willing to lose it for my sake. You're going to have to love him more than anything in this world. You're going to have to want God and his plan for your life more than any bowl of soup they can bring before you. So let me ask you to think about this. What has the enemy been waving in front of your face? What's your bowl of soup, so to speak? Is it a person? Somebody who's just way better fit for you than the spouse that you said, I do till death do us part? Is it some material thing that you just know if I had that, I finally will have made it, I'll finally be content, I'll finally not want anything else, I'll finally be happy? Is it some respect or notoriety, some promotion or honor that you're trying to get recognized so that you can finally lay your head on the pillow and go, I guess I'm not a loser? What is it that the enemy comes and waves in front of you and go, doesn't that smell good? Doesn't that smell good? Trade me God's blessing for it. 
Don't fall for it. It's a trick. You will end up with a mouthful of gravel. Can anybody say amen from experience? Amen. Amen. Look at verse 39. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, (laughs) he said, can't you give me some blessing? Is there something you didn't give him? He goes, well, there's one thing I didn't give him. I'll give you that. Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling. You're going to live in a desert. And away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live. You'll always be fighting. And your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you'll break his yoke from your neck. So the blessing is you're going to live a miserable life, but one day it'll be over. That's what he traded for a bowl of soup. And, and as you read on, you find that he becomes so angry that he sets a plot in place to murder his brother. His mother hears about it, and she says, you got to go. Jacob has to move away, and he lives in a foreign land. We're going to see this in the next chapters. And, and that mama who is trying to keep her boy so close is never going to see him again. And it just goes from bad to worse, and you close the chapter and you go, what a sad story. Esau is crying and begging and bitter and murderous because of what his brother had done to him. But please, whatever you do, don't feel sorry for Esau. He did this to himself because he did not value the things of God. And by the way, don't feel sorry for Isaac either. He was trying to do this whole thing on the sly. He was trying to take what God had said and do something different. He was trying to be in charge, in control, and, and he, he was cheating. And he got out-cheated at his own game. And, and, and for him to be upset about that is like, and, and I wish I was making this up, but it's happened so many times over the years in my ministry where I'm counseling a couple who comes in because there's been uh, infidelity in their marriage. And... And something happened. He started working late a lot and maybe went away on some weekend trips. And, and it's just, she's suspicious and she's not so sure. And she notices he left his email open and she starts looking through his email and she finds out. And now they're in my office. And she explains to me when I saw this in the email. And he says, always says, I can't believe you hacked my email. That's Isaac. She's completely oblivious of the fact that he's the author of this life they created and this mess that came out of it. And, and so don't, don't feel sorry for him. He was trying to cover something up. Let me ask you, what have you been trying to cover up? You don't have to answer. What do, you, what do you have in your life that when you think about it, not only are you ashamed, 
but you're terrified that somebody might find out. And you don't want anybody to know that you actually have an addiction to, and you don't want anybody to know that you actually have a problem with, and you don't want anybody to know, fill in the blank. What's like that in your life? Whatever it is, let me give you some free advice. Get it out of your life immediately. If there's something in your life that bothers your conscience, something in your life that makes you afraid that if anyone knew who you really were, no one would have any respect for you. Listen, why do you want that in your life? Get it out. It doesn't have to be there. This is the beauty of the cross. Jesus died so our sins could be forgiven. He died so our sins could be washed away. He died so captives could be set free. That's why he died. Don't live like Jesus never died. It's covered up, hide. It's a trick. Don't fall for it. So I don't want you to feel sorry for any of them. Don't feel sorry for Esau. Don't feel sorry for Rebecca. Don't feel sorry for Isaac. Rebecca took everything into her own hands. She said, I, I'm not going to have to trust God. He made me a promise. He said this is going to be true of my son, but it's not happening. So I'm going to be God in my own son's life. Just think on that one for a second, parents. Don't feel sorry for her. She was so worried. What if it doesn't work out? What if I, I don't get my son to where I want him to be? So many people have been derailed because of what they worry about. What are you worried about? What are you afraid that if you don't handle it, God can't be trusted to handle it? Let me just ask you a question. What, name, name one thing in your life that you can handle better than God can. And yet, we try to wrestle control from him. Don't feel sorry for Rebecca. And whatever you do for the love of God, do not feel sorry for Jacob. He really is a deceiver. He really is a trickster. He's a supplanter. He's a thief. And, and it's going to continue. This is the character of his life until nearly the end of his life. This kind of dishonest behavior runs through the whole story. And the thing about Jacob that makes me so frustrated is that he was given so much grace. The New Testament says that while Jacob and Esau were still in the womb, before either of them had done anything good or bad, God set his love on Esau, on Jacob. He set his love on Jacob before he did anything. That sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? That you can't do anything to earn God's favor and he sets it on you anyways. That's the grace of God. That's what Jacob had received. And you know what he did? He just absolutely presumed upon it. He just took it for granted. The grace of God. Yeah, I got the grace of God. I got the birthright. I'll be fine. And he lived his life like that. Some of us here today have been living like Jacob, taking God's grace for granted. I know, I can, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to just do this. And, and you know what? God will forgive me. He said he would. And if that's how you're continuously living, 
The Bible speaks about that, and I, I don't have time to go into it, but here's what it says. You're not a Christian. If your life is, I believe intellectually that Jesus died for me, but I refuse to let him be Lord of my life, you're an intellectual philosopher, not a follower of Jesus. And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about faith. There are no th sympathetic stories in this character, and every no sympathetic characters in this story. And every time I read a story like this, I say, Lord, where am I in these pages? Wh who am I like here? Why are you telling me this? And you know who I found out I'm like? All four of them. So, so easy to trade what God has in store for me for what I think I want in the moment. So easy for me to care more about my reputation and try to cover things up than to actually live in authenticity. So tempting for me to somehow try to be the, the Lord of my own life and everybody else's around me. It is so tempting for me to take for granted the grace of God. And I see myself there. And James says, yeah, you will, because the Bible's a mirror. That's what it's for. Because I've been there. I think we all have. The real question is not, have you been there? The real question is, are you going to live there? You don't have to stay there. There's this, there's this word that our society is offended by, but it's biblical. And the word is repentance. It means that you change your mind about wanting what the world has to offer and you want what God has to offer. It means that while you're walking away from God, you stop and pivot and change direction and start walking toward God. And the beauty of this whole thing is you only need to take one step. That step is called repentance. Confession and repentance. And Jesus makes up the distance. What's sad about this story is that they all settled for so much less than what God wanted for them. I pray that that cannot be said of us. Let's stand and pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your grace. Forgive us, God, that we become comfortable sometimes living in your grace so much that we can easily take it for granted. Forgive us, Father, for the way that we have wanted what the world has to offer and have been willing to trade it for what you have to offer. Lord, forgive us. Father, forgive us for the fact that we feel like we ought to be God in our own lives and in the lives of other people instead of letting you do your job as God and us being your worshipers. Forgive us, God. But even as you forgive us, I pray, Father, that you would set our feet on the right path. Because I'm sure every one of us in this room, if we're really honest and we're really looking at our hearts, would have to say, yeah, there's some of those tendencies in my life too. And so, Father, reform us, restore us, renew us, revive us, refresh us, and that we might walk in the abundant life 
that Jesus came to give us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.